back to another edition of the Tetracast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm the host. My name is Brian Vitale. Joining me, I've got Josh Torres. We're in the last two months of 2022. Adam Vitale. Hello. And James Galizio. God, less than two months to finish as many RPGs as I can. Fuck <laughs> Yep, that's kind of the time of year we're in. Uh, yeah, Chow is had a had a conflict <laughs> in schedule, so he won't be here this week. Um, and yeah, it's November. This is our first podcast recording in November, and a lot of stuff has come out either this week or is slated to come out in the next couple of weeks. And I'm already kind of looking at the list of games that I feel almost like behind on, like games that I've wanted to get to this year, but then just had never. Either I didn't make the chance to get to them. Or I decided to play stuff like Cold Steel 4 instead of like going back to play Soul Hackers 2 or, or whatever. Um, a little bit of a just being overly honest here in this week of the podcast, we've got a few contributors on the site that are working on uh, covering games that are releasing in the next week or two that we can't quite talk about yet. So that kind of kind of limits what we're able to talk about this week just beholden to some of the embargoes because obviously we've got uh the tactics ogre remake coming out in a couple days even uh valkyrie elysium's coming out on pc in the next week uh we've got obviously the pokemon releases we've got monochrome mobius coming out though we might talk about that a little bit in the context of a demo that released on the japanese uh playstation store uh so this week it's going to be talking about some of the games that we introduced last week but might just have some follow-up conversation on uh and then maybe a few other topics based on some of the news headlines that came out over the last seven days so i guess we'll just go ahead and start with that one of the games that we talked about last week that chow was basically spearheading the conversation on was the steam release of this long in development indie game from a japanese developer asta libra so we had a decent discussion on that but as a fallout from that conversation it sounds like Josh, in particular, uh, has put a lot of time into the game in the last week. So we figured we'd go ahead and start with that and give that kind of our headline spot for the moment. So, hey, Josh, we talked about Astro Libra a little bit last week, talked about uh, what Chow found interesting about it and some of the context behind the game. So now let's just kind of go into your time with it now that you've been able to put a few hours into it uh, since that discussion from last podcast. Yeah, about like six and a half to seven hours into it. Um, I, I finished up Star Wars of the Divine Force earlier this week and then we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit um and so i was like i was really curious because you know my my other friend that's finished it uh Esta libra after like 67 hours kept praising it and like i let you guys know and then chow gave it a shot and he, he seems to like what he's been playing and i think it's a really really interesting game um you know just uh, we kind of went over the general gameplay style of it last week it was like it's side-scrolling action rpg it's definitely, it feels very old school. It feels definitely very like East 3, I'd say. Um, and I like that it encourages a lot of um, uh, weapon and armor swapping because as you use a certain weapon and armor uh, and even shield, um, you'll uh, passively gain experience with them uh, as you, you know, have them equipped and using them. And uh, every time like, you fully level them up, you'll like gain a skill 
um, that you can like assign like uh, these skill crystals into. So you can like literally allot these skill crystals into like things like do you do you want to see like how much damage are you doing to an enemies? Do you do you want to see their break gauge? Do you want to double jump? And like for example, the double jump might cost four skill crystals, so you might have to like kind of um, give up some of your other skills to like you know get a double jump. And yeah, but it's all like it's all freely allotted. And like it's all up to you and like how you want to like assign those skills at any given moment. Um, so it, it's really has a, an interesting way of like diversifying like your your um, offensive and defensive um, skills. And Chow talked a little about like how there's this karma system as well. Well, so I was I was talking to my friend about it because early on in the game, um, you gain these um, scales. Uh, these Libra scales, and you can you can pretty much like choose any item in the game to like place on these scales, and it will like balance out. Like uh, it might go one way or the other way. And I was thinking like, how like what's so like what's the purpose of this? Because how my initial understanding of these scales, for example, was like I had like a bat wing and like a cobweb, just like those weapon drops, and uh the the bat wing was like oh it gives you like a good stat boost on like uh magic it could be like it, it like the description is literally like magic boost like in parentheses good and then like the cobweb might be like attack boost like like epic or something and then <laughs> <laughs> and like it is like each of these have like weights on them and uh and like it, and the scales will uh, turn one way or the other and i thought like if one of the um items Say like the bat wing is like uh, weighs less than the other one. I thought that you would get like a uh, you know less like or uh, either less magic boost or less like um, or like a decrease in magic because of that because of the, the way scales are weighted. So I was talking to my friend about this who completed the game and like was way more about the systems than I do, obviously. And it's interesting because. What you really want to do uh, in these scales is you have to kind of balance it out, find like items that like weigh each other out, and try to get to a, a perfect equilibrium as possible. And the closer you get to equilibrium on these scales, the more that both of those uh, things that it's boosting are like further enhanced. So that's kind of there's like a weird kind of like a push and pull mechanic on these scales um, that uh, you kind of have to keep in mind. Like once you set them and you find something that you like, you don't have to really worry about them again but i was like trying to wrap my head around this system because like so are these scales, scales are, like a ui element or are they like items they're, in they're, inventory they're they're a ui element like once you get them like you'll have a separate like op like uh uh i think it's called libra in like the start menu and then you when you access it you can like place pretty much any item in the game on each side of the scale and like the, these scales are also like very narrative uh, narrative relevant um for instance like a very very early story thing like like one of the first like kind of um arcs in the game is you're delivering supplies to this couple and like and they have a dog as well that they named after their like their their late grandson because their late grandson um like was killed years ago by by a demon things that happened during this uh story arc like cuz they they live in the middle of kind of like the middle, they live in the middle of the swamp because um the the wife has an illness where uh she needs like uh these access to these her uh herbs that are nearby so she can't live too far away from them so um and basically like after you they they get at some point they kid they get kidnapped by orcs 
Um, you go to this orc cavern and like kill all the orcs and the orc king and so forth. And then you find out like a like a revelation about like like the identity of the dog that they have. Um and um as the as the dog is sadly, you know, tragically um passing away, um the dog the, the true identity of this dog is basically like um like do me a solid and like kill my my past self. So like they like the 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 scales have the um narrative function of uh traveling through time so you kill you basically kill like the past incarnation of like who this dog really is and once you kill that past incarnation uh history basically kind of quote-unquote like alters itself so because this dog's past incarnation never existed um this couple's um grandson is still alive and they're like kind of better off for it now um that's kind of like the in vague terms kind of the conclusion of that arc and because of that conclusion of that arc of you altering history there are not other elements introduced in the story like one of like the narrative scenes like takes place in like the far far future i think like 13 sentinels almost where it's like oh there's been like a a fluctuation in like the historical like you know um like they sense that someone has been has tampered with history so obviously there's a bigger bigger narrative uh story at play here which is so when um, i was watching uh either you or chow play this over the last week it looked like i understand kind of i've only played uh east three oath and felgana so like not the uh, like when chow first introduced this game last week he specifically meant the uh wanderers from east the original east three i forget i forget which one the, the subtitle is and when i was watching you or him play it i forget which one it was specifically i really kind of saw it as like kind of an old school action rpg but the way yeah. you're describing it now and some of the way that chow described it last week is that there is really quite a very strong and always also kind of like a quite an out there narrative element to this game so like how much of this game just maybe i don't know if, i don't know if expressing it as a percentage is too dry but it seems like a significant chunk of this game is just um exposition narrative dialogue questing in that sense and not maybe not quite so much action combat um it's it's pretty like the, the action combat is pretty heavy like in between these scenes so i mean it's not it's not very very exposition heavy it's like it kind of gets the job done when it needs to in the story wise but it's like it's a very limited like production wise because of the limited like scope of the like the development team which was largely one person working on it so like you have like scenes like where uh, characters interact and so forth, but they're ne- they never like take center center stage that they detract from like the focus of the action combat. I think a really interesting fun progression um, to the to to like uh, leveling up your character is every time like you beat up a monster, like they drop these colored crystals, like uh, these colored minerals, and like there's like a whole like skill tree progression system, but it's designed like um, a dungeon crawler. So basically, you have like this skill tree map, and like you're de- you're getting um, these boosts, like boost to strength, boost to HP, boost to magic, um, boost to luck, and like you're using these different colored crystals to unlock these nodes. But uh, along the way, when you're like uh, traversing this skill tree, sometimes there'll be like a door that's locked. So you have to go find on the skill tree, like you have to go uh, navigate your way to like a key, and then once you obtain that key, you can use that key to unlock that branch of the skill tree so you open it up and then there'll be like some like some good nodes behind that as well which is like an additional like fun element to like not just like hey you leveled up go allocate your like stat points it's like these this is like another aspect of that to further enhance and boost your 
character. Um, so that's like, uh, like you know, it's 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 a fun way to like kind of continue um, progressing your character as like you're traversing through the game. It's also, I think, I think my one like complaint about the game is like the hit stun is like a bit too much, especially for big bosses. Um, for example, there um, in like the first like your main hub is like this town, and like this town has a coliseum, and then like you can uh, go through these sta- challenge stages. Uh, to gain like you know good items like or get a skill crystal from them um and then there will be like some challenge stages where like go beat like two of like the big boss that you just uh uh fought so one of the big bosses you fought was like this like big dragon but like every time like you hit something there's like a big like hit stop to it so like when you multiply it by two uh it like it like your your screen is like it's not it's it's basically chugging for every time like you hit something. So because because like every time like you hit like say both of these two dragons, it's like multiplying that hit stop by two, um, which is like I get it. Like you have to want you want to convey that like you hit something, but I think the the effect is too severe uh, on that. Either like it's not like a big big like it doesn't bother me that much, but it's just like one of those things. Like okay, you, like they 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 can tone this down a little bit. Um. But other than that, like I, I'm really enjoying my time, and I think it's a really interesting, like, uh, old school RPG. Like, I don't think it's like it'll speak to everyone, but it's like for those that do, I think, um, especially those that like enjoy that, like, um, old school progression, and not and like, like this game tells you very little on what it wants you to 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 do in terms of like, like. There are sometimes there's like thing like items you need to use on certain things to uh, for them to interact, but the game won't give you a prompt to like say press circle to interact with this object. Uh, like it'll expect you to like go into your inventory, highlight over that item, and press use to use it on that on that thing. Like this, let's say this pedestal uh, that um is blocking your way, and like you take a, a a skull from it, and it'll block like another passage of it. If I want to use that skull on like that pedestal, I, it doesn't like give you a button prompt to interact. You have to go into your menu, go to items, go to your inventory, highlight over to the skull, and then press use on that. So it's very old school in that way, where it's like it's the, it it takes a lot of the, the the quality of life enhancements that like modern game design has like got. It's like and does it doesn't do that? Does it? Uh, does it? In- indicate at all that this pedestal that you mentioned is interactable or is it just kind of like you have to have some intuition and just try things um it it, it will like it'll give you an ex- like it'll give you like a an indication that it's interactable by like say like this in this orc cavern there are two pedestals one that has a, a wood sc- uh, one that has a wood skull and then there's like a, like a, a, a vacant gold one so what you what you basically have to do is you take this uh, wood skull from the pedestal, like it, like it actually give you the button prompt to say you can take this wood wood skull. So now you know that, like, because it now you know that this pedestal is something that you interact with, but you have to find a way to get like a, a wood skull on this pedestal that um, unveil, like it, it opens up the path, and also get like a, a gold skull on that gold pedestal to open up the other path. So, for example, for for this wood skull. You would have to take it back to like a, a lake um, that you uh, encountered early on, and you know that like you you're given the info 
that like this lake can give you a gold version of something as long as you answer truthfully to the spirit of the lake. So you have to remember that from a past story event, which is like maybe like maybe like 15 to 20 minutes back. Um, and then so th that's how you gain like the items that you would need to proceed on forward. <laughs> so it's basically like basic puzzle design, but it's like it, it's incorporating like past narrative um, events to clue you in on like something that's like you don't know what at first when you go to that narrative um scene you don't know why it's showing you that until like you get to that part then the game expects you to remember like hey remember that part back then it won't tell well, you that right makes, away that makes like, it really sound like an adventure game almost which i'm actually like really it's really this last part that you've been discussing here like the narrative sounds kind of like i don't know time travel doesn't interest me inherently anymore the combat i thought looked really good and just from what i watched you and um chow play uh i, I remember i was watching a, i think it was an ign trailer and someone's like this looks really antiquated but i think it looks really charming maybe that's just my age <laughs> uh showing there but the, this described the way you're describing these almost adventure game aspects where you have to remember yeah. the nuggets of information that you've obtained even if it's only like over the course of events that are within 20 or 30 minutes apart just kind of identifying that you have these items in your inventory and they're the way that they interact with the the environment or the or the locations in the world i don't know like the, the this last section of your discussion here is what's gotten me the most interested in this game compared yeah, from, yeah. across both podcasts for sure, and like it's like it's 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 one of those things. Like it it kind of it kind of um, expects you to remember that the like the 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 lessons that you learned from it. Um, like for example, I was trying to remember like how do I um, how do I turn like copper ore into a copper ingot, and I was like, well, how do you, what do you do that again? And then like it's something because I forgot about the synthesis book that you have at the beginning of the game. It's like my my friends like just go to the synthesis. Book. Like oh yeah, I forgot I have synthesis book, and then. You open mm -hmm. up the synthesis book and it's very intuitive, like right away. Like this, uh, like you know, these two, like uh, it'll show you, like, hey, you can make something for these two items. And once you make like the first time that item, it'll always like note it down, saying like, you know, copper ore plus this like newt, you know, will make a copper ingot. And that's like always something that like you'll remember um, once you make it like the first time, you know. So it's just one of those like games that like you just have to remember like what systems you have uh, you you can engage with. No, I it's think it really fun. does sound. Yeah, yeah. This really this fun. like synthesis book. Does it remember like recipes that you've done? Let, yeah. Sorry, let me rephrase it. Like, is, does it start out blank and then it just logs things that you learn as you as you either make them yourselves or learn about them throughout you know your interactions with the other characters? It'll it'll log um, basically if you have the recipes of an item, it won't show you the end result uh, unless you make it the first time, but it'll always show you like the two two components that can always be fused. So like mm -hmm. say, so like the copper ore and the newt, it, like if I never fused a copper ingot before, it'll show me that the copper ore and the newt can be uh, uh, fused together, but it won't show you the end result until like you fuse it for the first time. So like it, it's, and I know it, you'll... there's not like a lot of like guesswork, you know, because the mm -hmm. synthesis book will show you that. And I know you said that you're like six or seven hours in, but I remember last week we saw this, and as you've been talking, I've been looking at some of the Steam reviews, and people are saying that uh, this one guy says took him 70 hours to 100% this, which is very un-East-like. Well, I guess recent East games might get that long. But I guess, like, can you tell from your seven hours in that you're, that this game is, I guess, quite a significant length and you're only scratching the surface? Does it, does it like kind I'm, of yeah, indicate I, that it's... 
I don't know exactly like what the scope of the game is like. Like still, like like it still it feels it still feels very early, even though it's like six and a half to seven hours in. And like and and, and to be fair, like a, a good chunk of like maybe a, an hour and a half of that playtime has been getting through the Colosseum challenges because some of the challenge stages like they're doable, but like it's it's definitely something that like you kind of have to retry it several times to kind of get the flow of it because some of these will be like beat these enemies like within the time limit. Some of these might maybe like um, they're they're pretty varied. So uh, some of these may have you like uh, um, traverse underwater through it, and then the underwater element of this game can be pretty um, challenging because there's a whole stat called adaptability that will uh, once you once you uh, enhance it, you can like uh, operate more like freely in underwater environments. Whether it's like having a little bit more of the breath gauge. Or being slowed down a little bit less by underwater. So if you're pretty low on that, which I'm pretty low on adaptability, I'd have to kind of like um, find ways to like beat those challenge stages that are underwater focused. Like um, that's like they're, they're they're pretty tough, and like I don't have the points in the, in that. There might be other ones where like you have to like uh, aim your crossbow carefully. There'll be like enemies at the very top of the screen. The, the where you have to like aim your crossbow at them, and you only have a limited no, limited number of bolts on you to take them out. So, like it, like it's not saying that like the Colosseum challenges like significantly pad out my time, but like there are definitely like um stages in it where I'm like, okay, I'm scratching my head on like how to beat this, and then I have to like kind of take the time to like figure them out um bit by bit because there'll be like uh, like other challenge stages where like they're like traverse these platforms thin platforms and then you, you have to beat all these enemies in the time limit so not only do you have to like worry about like a time limit but you have to worry about not getting knocked off because if you get knocked off then it's like castlevania where like you're, it's like an instant fail if you get knocked mm-hmm. off and like it, it's fun because it's, it's varied and like really tests your skills on it like it feels pretty gratifying too so it sounds like when people say this has a 67 8 hour runtime there's a lot of secondary objectives or ways yeah, that you can get off the beaten path or spend like you, like you said an hour and a half doing extra stuff in the coliseum because you feel like that'll help progress your character mm-hmm. so i don't know it seems like there's just a lot of different gameplay options and just a lot to dig into here just like a really really meaty game yeah yeah because you'll, you'll be constantly like wanting to like um switch up like your your gear and like how you how you play like like um at the start of the game i was like uh mainly focusing on like my dagger because it builds up um the magic gauge while doing um good damage but now i've switched over to like a magical staff that i unlocked through the skill like the the like a dungeon skill tree like it, it granted me that because like i found treasure and had that so now like this staff is like awesome because like while it doesn't do a lot of physical damage it charges up like the the magic gauge super fast while spitting out like these fireballs so it's taking like my magic stat into account for damage on that and then at the same time i can also fire off magical spells pretty often and those are pretty powerful as well and then like for like some fights i might go back to like other uh gear to like uh make them a little bit easier depending on like that sort of fight that i'm interacting with i'm looking at the page on seam right now i'm like ah do i have time because obviously within a month we're gonna be talking (laughs) about games of the year and i'm just like uh yeah i really really both you and coming out and yeah well, luckily, both you and Chow have been able to dig some time into it. I don't know how it'll be interesting once we can catch up with Chow to see how far he's gotten, because I think he 
he might be a little bit farther than you, but I don't quite, I don't know how much progression he's made in the last week, but this is definitely like out of all the games that we try to find, like these under the, uh, under the radar diamonds in the rough, this might be the one for this year. On all the discussion wanna, about it. I definitely, if like, if I feel very strongly for it, like, you know, as I play more and more into it, I might just champion it, champion it in the end of the year discussions. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, you know, it's one of those games that, like it's it's I was talking about this on uh, Discord with one of our community members, uh, like you know, the, like a few hours ago, because like there's just been like this prevailing, like narrative, like not even just like on like communities, but it could be on social media as well. Of, like these games didn't do well because it quote unquote it had no marketing at all, and I'm just like, dude, I'm playing a game that like got zero marketing mainstream whatsoever. You didn't hear about this game until I said something about it, pretty much. <laughs> You know, and I and I really didn't hear about it un, until I think my first exposure to it was like a Steam Next Fest demo, and like it, it was like a bad first showing because like you when you're getting through the Next Fest demos, you want the demos to be pretty brief and to the point because you know it's only such a a limited time frame. So my 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 first impression of Astalibra from the Next Fest demo wasn't positive because like I was under that mindset like I just want to try out as many games as I can. But now that I've had like the time to, like actually sit down per my friend's recommendation. Like I'm just like really, really digging it, and and when I look at like the obviously Steam DB and Steam charts are like the be all end all for these things, but this game Seems has had doing a, well. Yeah. yeah, this game has had a pretty pretty healthy like population, like more than like Neo: The World Ends with You, more than like Relayer Advance. I think even more than Star Ocean: The Divine Force. Star and Ocean th- is like a, over four thousand okay. peak, so I don't think quite as much as that. But it's like, yeah. but it's that, but it's definitely you know, be, uh, bigger than like uh, other but more well-known like you know RPGs uh, yeah. to a certain extent, um, and you know, and this game had zero marketing because it's going, it's it's literally living off of like word of mouth, you know, not not a lot of like other outlets like really mention this game at all. Yeah. Well, it's got I'm, an overwhelmingly I'm, positive rating on Steam with over a thousand reviews. So like the overwhelmingly it seems like positive. The, the, with that many reviews is really hard to get. So that says something. It definitely seems like word of mouth is carrying this game to pretty high places. It seems like it got us, it got it on our podcast. It seems like a lot of the reviews are people are really espousing kind of the sort of same thing as the, what Josh said is that they first saw this game on the next fest and they, they took them five hours to play through the demo. And then now they've gone to the, the full release, which was I think early October. And now they've, 70 hours later and they really enjoyed it and left a positive review so definitely seems like a game that has had a good first impression and has held on to that first impression and been shared through positive word of mouth uh and it seems like we're kind of both josh and chow have kind of contributed to that as well on this podcast so the next time we talk about asta libra will likely be in the context of a game of the year discussion in terms of where does this game rank amongst all the others that we've played this year so it'll be interesting to see exactly how well it measures up whether uh chow josh or others get more time to spend with it or not just to see exactly where this uh how far the good impressions from this game end up carrying it amongst some of the ones that we've expected to be talking about at the end of the year the second game that we have on our docket is a game that we haven't talked about recently, but has a release date just in the next couple of days or days within the month of November. And that is Monochrome Mobius Rights and Wrongs Forgotten. And if you don't remember what this game was when we talked about it earlier in the year, this is a game in the Utara, Utawa Ramono um, 
mythos Let's universe. Go. It's an action. Yeah, yeah, it's an action RPG spinoff. Is it a spinoff? I believe so. I don't. It's I don't like know if it's in, a spinoff or just more of a. Com- okay. okay. Yeah, so uh, I don't know exactly what makes it distinct from a standard Uchiwara Mono game, but on November, was it the second? Early in the month, just a couple of days ago, it got a demo on the PlayStation Store in Japan, and that has made the rounds a little bit in terms of what people's first impressions of the demo are. We have on-hands impressions of uh, the demo because Josh decided to take a look at it and had a little bit of a, a fun time with it. So I'll just go ahead and hand it right back off over to Josh to talk about his times with the Monochrome Mobius demo uh, on the PlayStation Store. Right. Yeah. I, I just, I, by chance, I just remember, I was like, oh yeah, they're they're releasing a demo for this. It was like uh, on like November second, so it was just a few days ago. So I wanted to check it out. Um, you know, because I, I I played a little bit of uh, Utawari Romono on my Steam Deck. I want to get back to it, but like I just haven't had time with other games. Yeah. But um, uh, like uh, what what Brian said is like uh, what makes this distinct. Um, usually, Utawari Romono games are very visual novel heavy, with some um, interspersed of like a strategy RPG battles uh, in betweens. But it's it's mainly like visual novel. Uh, this one is um, a little bit more gameplay focused, where there are still like. Obviously, narrative it's narrative driven, story driven. There are story cutscenes and so forth, but they made like a genre switch to like make it more gameplay focused and have turn based battles instead of the strategy RPG like kind of grid um, perspective. So I was like, okay, I, I'm curious to see like you know how this plays, how this looks, uh, what does it feel like when you know when you're getting to it. So after you know you get the introductory cutscene um of the game and like the opening movie you're in, introduced to like the main character Oshtor um and you, you get into like the tutorial battle and uh and then like you have to go back to town uh, after that tutorial battle and the first thing I um I was very surprised the first thing I I noticed when like I started moving around this character and like like navigating like, the camera and so far I was like holy shit they put way too much motion blur in this game. Um, it reminded me of uh, Final Fantasy Type-0 HD. It's not to that extent, but it's pretty damn close to it. I, I, I put like a little like, you know, demonstration on, on Twitter on like what it looks like and in motion. Um, it's, it's really rough right now on console, and uh, this is definitely not going to get fixed on the console version. It's way too close to uh, release. Um, and there's no there's no setting in the options menu for like to turn the motion blur off or anything. It's it's rough, man. Just just simply like moving around in that game. Like the camera is already a little bit floaty and like maybe a little bit fish eye lensy as you as you uh, mentioned the other day, Brian. So it does have like an aspect of that. But just like even just like moving around, like if you want to like go around, like see around the corner as like you're navigating about, like the whole screen just turns into a blur yeah (laughs) so some people feel really really passionately about motion blur and depth of field it's one of the things where there are there are like two camps of people in my perception people either immediately go to turn motion blur and depth of field off uh just because it's out of print out of principle but also i do think motion blur can look good but it's one of those things where it's like if it's implemented well you don't notice it because it feels natural so yeah, unless if it's, it's a like toggle, object clearly... motion blur, that like that's totally fine. Like say if you want to just like only have like motion blur like, like a sword swing, for example, 
while keeping like yeah. the rest of the image crisp. Like in Dark Souls, where they do that like kind of overpowered motion blur on the sword swings to make them seem like uh, more heavy and like more impactful. Yeah, and, and, th- and this one, like even just like the brief like footage that I I I sent to like friends and like showing them, it's like yeah, this is already making me sick because like definitely for some people they'll be fine and they won't be affected. They're like I don't see the uh, you know I don't see the problem, but there, there are definitely people like like me for example were like over half an hour in i already started feeling ill like playing this game because like i just couldn't stand like the motion blur it was like making me feel dizzy um and that's how i felt about type 0 hd uh as well so there there will definitely be people who like if they like on the overseas release for this game the english release it'll only be available on pc and we have yet to see what the pc port of this game looks like People if it's are, anything oh, like I had forgotten about that. Mono games. Yeah. yeah, I did a whole feature about that because it's like I understand why, but it's like there's a portion of this series fan base in the West that played it on PlayStation because that's where yeah. it came out first and they won't be able to play it's it. It's all ringing a bell um, now. I remember this now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just had it been long enough. Right. I hope yeah. the PC port is better than the trilogy because uh, one thing I said is that it's 720p 30 locks for the original trilogy which if you're playing on steam deck it works out fine because you're not going to want it over 30 fps anyway you're not going to have it over 720p but for a game like this where well at least on first sniff it's more like graphically intensive it's supposed to have a bit more of a presentation hopefully there's uh, more options but uh, uh i'm looking at some of uh, josh's tweets i'm not so sure about that anymore yeah, like this 30 FPS capped on consoles as well as being on PS5, and that's you know that's fine, whatever. The motion blur is more of the deal breaker here, um, especially for a lot of people who are sensitive to that stuff. And that's wait, it's 30 FPS capped on PS5 as well. Yes. What what about the resolution? Is it at least like a decently high resolution? I mean, it, yeah, the resolution seems, resolution seems fine. Um, I didn't see like anything. I mean, I, I like on my game capture, I can only go up to 1080. So. It it seems fine. I don't. I I didn't play it on 4K or whatever, um, but it seemed okay. It just you know the motion blur is a lot. Um, the battle system is you know it's still very very early game type stuff. So you had you only had like a a, a standard attack and uh, like an, uh, a skill that takes up MP. So I mean there's no big surprises there. I do like that the attack animations are very very fast uh, in the game just by default. Um, so I, I was like, okay, let me go try to proceed a little bit further in the demo and uh, see what else this game has to offer. Um, I I guess I didn't uh, watch much gameplay footage of this game because I don't know if this was known, but I went into um, the, the, ta- the, like, the first village in the game and I was not expecting the NPC models to... I, I shit you not. I, they look like PS1 era... 3D models. I it like there looks it looks like something's wrong with them, <laughs> to be honest. I'm like, is there like a lighting bug or something? Um like they like yeah, I, I put some pictures on my Twitter and like I was just going around town and like these these character models are just like very like they don't have like they're not textured. They're just kind of like they were like put into like a 3D model program and then they're like, okay, we're done. That's that. They yeah, just, it's one of those things like where I, I I could tell they were trying to maybe be like stylized, but it almost instead of looking like stylized low detail, they look unfinished low detail. That's maybe a fine line, 
but it doesn't it almost doesn't look intentional even if it probably is but i can't even say that with our certainty like is this intentional because the result isn't good looking like, I'm, so, I, I'm sure there's a way they could have made it where they said okay we don't have the research for this let's just have all the npc and background characters stylized in this manner whether they're silhouettes or like a couple shades of color or whatever but in this case they just it just the result doesn't look good. Yeah, like let's like say for Persona Five, for example, like they have NPCs like in the train stations that are like all faceless, but they're all very, very background characters that you. Oh, can that's go good. That's a good like example. Yeah. Like you know, mm. silhouetted type of like NPCs, so like they kind of blend into the background. You don't really notice like, they're, they're all they're meant to just like uh, represent like a bustling city, you know, um, going there about their day to day, and like so it's something that you don't really um, notice. But in this game, it, they just look like. They just look so out of place and unfinished, and I just don't understand it. Like I was just like for a good like five to like seven minutes, I was just going around town taking pictures of these NPC models and be like, I'm, I'm losing it. This is kind of this is insane. I don't know, like who said this is okay? You know, this is all right because they just look so unfinished. Like I I don't get it. So like maybe while well, contact with some of my images in like the like the a podcast post or whatever, like give people uh, like a better idea of what they look like. But it's just... We can embed tweets and uh, articles, can't we? I think so. We can yeah. either do that. Yeah. We can either yeah. do that yeah. or the images themselves on the post yeah. on the uh, on the site. Yeah. So either, the, the, either, either way, people should, yeah, people should like get a look at these at the, at the podcast post if, if those are available. Put, put, put it on the thumbnail for the podcast. I can send some out through Discord and then if you guys want to use that or not. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's just, it. you know, it's kind of, I don't know, I don't know how I, I, I kind of feel. I, I'm praying for the Utawade Rumono fan base on this one because, you know, a lot of them are like, you know, the story's going to pull through, the character's going to pull through, and hopefully it is. Because right now, a lot of like the, the overall polish of the game feels like they should have like, push this back and like done something about a lot of these elements uh whether it's the motion blur or the character models but other than that you know like i i didn't play much more outside of that i saw like one more story event scene and it does at the very least like when they're um when they introduce the other main character it's like Oshtor and then the other uh shunya she's like the uh, a white-haired girl with um with, with like a red and black dress like <laughs> upon meeting her like her introductory scene with Oshtor is like actually really um adorable because like you, you see her like kind of like stealing food from like a, a, a field and like uh, once you like you you notice her she like kind of she she runs away at like in a very comical in a comical manner with like a comical sound effects um so like there there is something like that fun spirit in the game uh but it's just my but my first impression of the demo is like this is something I, this is a game i can't i literally cannot play without feeling ill so hopefully once again hopefully the pc release has some sort of like way to turn off or lessen the motion blur or people would just have to tweak the i and i files and hopefully find a way to you know disable it or something i uh, i yeah. really hope that works out but there still isn't any mods for the utuado mono trilogy to mm-hmm. raise the resolution or raise the fps cap because there's no like user accessible i and i so yeah. if this is on the same engine that's probably going to be the same thing so we got to hope they get it right <laughs> so you know best of luck is coming out pretty soon i think i think it's like november 17th um so just the right around the corner yep but yeah that's my that's my 
initial impressions. You should you should go give it a shot, James. Just like very briefly and see what you think about maybe, it. Maybe maybe he'll give it a shot after I'm done with the uh, current game I'm playing. Yeah. Uh, well, what is the current game that you're playing? I'm sorry, Zach. I got Sonic Frontiers early from a sort of broke street date. <laughs> yeah, remember we were talking about you know Zach, which is an alumni of the site that went off to uh, to Sega PR. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, James has been. You know, messing around with Sonic Frontiers before Street Date because he got it from up, you know, a joint, a local joint here that uh, gets yeah. uh, these games in early. But I, I don't know if you want to talk outs- about that briefly. <laughs> yeah, but from an outsider's perspective, I've seen a little bit of chatter just on Twitter and Discord channels about Sonic Frontiers. Uh, as someone who isn't like in that sphere, it seems fun because it seems like equally earnest excitement for the game but also people that are just like taking the piss on it because it has had a kind of a poor like game remember when ign was it ign had all those like exclusive gameplay videos and they didn't showcase the game very well it just seems like there's an interesting mix of earnest and both like uh impressions for like the game and expectations for it that some people are genuinely excited and some people are just like here to here for the chaos or here for the ride so it'll be interesting well, to see where wanna, it ends up landing. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it too much because, again, it's not out yet. And, like, even if it doesn't it's perfectly under like, again, I I bought my copy, so I'm not a, beholden to any sort of embargo. But the review embargo mm-hmm. does lift on Monday. It would feel kind of shitty to folks that. That's true. Ha- so yeah. mm-hmm. all okay. I'll say is I'm enjoying it. That's it. Okay. All right. So as Josh talked about, uh, we kind of made it our headline of our last week's podcast, the release of Star Wars and the Divine Force. Uh, since then, I have made a little bit more time into it. I think Josh has basically uh, clocked it, has finished it. Um, there's been some impressions out of uh, both the West and of Japan for what people are feeling about the game, how the game has potentially sold even though we don't have any concrete information on that yet other than i guess it underperformed at physical sales in japan though we don't have the whole picture so i don't want to extrapolate too much but uh so i put a few hours into this game uh since josh talked about last week on the podcast i did play star oceans one through four i did skip five so um i don't have quite the uh i don't have that most recent experience but i will put it this way even though it's a low bar i am enjoying this game way way more than star ocean 4 star ocean 4 has been for the last decade or so maybe not decade when did it come out a long time ago um kind of shat on in a lot of different respects really okay now now i must come up with it really no not star Star ocean 4 4. 2009 or 2008 so yeah still more than a decade yeah Damn it! Star Ocean 4 where is time? Where, where is time going? Yeah, Star Ocean 4 right, is, so has... is, a, is a 360 release. It initially released at the 360, and then later on PS. And then eventually and came out, yeah, on PS, and yeah, then had the remaster and all that. But anyways, so I, Star Ocean one through three were good, not great games. I think Star Ocean two. This isn't an uncommon opinion, so I'm not going out on a limb here. But Star Ocean two was the one game in the series that I felt broached into that like actually a really good classic game that i wish they continued with their remasters on like they did with the um star ocean uh, japan (laughs) oh yeah yeah um but i am enjoying uh, i got i am not finished with star ocean the divine force and honestly i think i'm still in the first half of the game but i got uh, i've i've gotten like the six party members um i'm on to like the second continent or whatever uh, i played a lot of the mini games i've encountered a lot of the private events but then i got pulled away with another assignment for the site but i am I'm, I'm like really eager 
to go back to the Divine Force. I'm actually like, it's one of the games where I've been trying to play it on Steam Deck just because I want to have access to it. And it runs okay on Steam Deck. I don't quite know all the tweaks to get it to behave the best on there. Uh, Yeah. What people recommend is if you're fine with dealing with the shader compilation, it's whatever. Um, Eventually the shader, um, uh, the pre-compiled shaders will be uploaded and whatnot. Uh, if you want to avoid as much as servers as possible right now, you can install Proton G, and then there's like a launch command to have it use DXVK async, which is, means that it will, um, instead of it stuttering, stuff will just pop in the first time that shader is compiled. So it's probably a little yes. bit better. It, it's a trade off, but most people seem to prefer that to the uh, stutters. Yeah. So, so I've installed Proton GE, but I guess I'm not well versed enough to figure out like the launch commands or figure out how to make it uh, operate differently. So maybe I'll follow up with you specifically on that after this. Yeah. But this game is like, I, I kind of want to avoid this phrasing, but it's something that I can't think of another way to put it. It's like comfort food. It feels like an RPG the from the PS2 thing. era. It feels like an RPG from the PS2 era, and I'm totally here for it. It just, it it's not doing anything that we haven't seen before. It's not doing anything that is novel or new. And But I'm just, I'm enjoying the cast. I'm enjoying the combat. I love just kind of like going off the beaten path and or going back to old areas and seeing, seeing if I can find old secrets or old chests. Um, like, I even think, just I think like your, the, your sentiment is common. I've heard it a lot. And it's, I think it's one of those things that like, it feels like a game from a bygone era, but it's like, it's a game that you remember. Like if you were like, 10 to 15 years younger, you know, you would you see yourself playing this game and having a ton of fun with it. It's like a game that like it's the type of game that like you enjoyed at a much younger age and now that like you're older, you're like, yeah, sure it has problems, but I'm still having as much fun as I did and I was like playing this type of game when I was younger, you know. Yeah, so it, it feels like if, it, if this was a sort of game that came out like on the early PS3 or late PS2 and I'm like scale the production values accordingly, I think it would have been like maybe not a mega hit, but a hit, at least a cult classic in the sense that so many other JRPGs of the era were that Star Ocean 3 maybe wasn't. Um, But there's a lot of things in this game have just really surprised me. So we kind of, even when the game was first shown off, we said it doesn't have the highest production values. The mocap is not great. The animation and there's the model quality themselves is not good. The the English lip sync is off. It doesn't really have much of any lip sync at all. But surprisingly, I actually think the English voice acting is quite good. Like genuinely. Um, and I don't know if maybe I'm easy to please. I play most games in English, so maybe my impressions aren't that valuable. But I played a lot of games with bad English voice acting, and this just, I don't think it's one of them. I'm i am enjoying the cast. I think that Raymond and uh, Leticia or Leticia are both really well acted. I don't even know the, the names of their, of their actors, but just I have no issues listening to the English voice acting in this game. Um, the animation work is a little bit of, a, of an acquired taste, but... It's kind of one of those things where I can kind of calibrate my mindset to say like, okay, this game was made, you know, on a budget of some sort. So I understand that there's trade-offs there. To me, um, like the cat, like the repeated cat animations is sort of endearing to me. Like especially like you, yeah. you'll remember it. Like like the like the when there's let's say Midas is saying no to something, he'll like he'll shake his head and then like cross his arms as as he's yeah. like shaking his his head. And, but then they're like they're like other times like other characters do it so it's definitely like something that's common but then like but sometimes they're like used in such like great comedic effect like i won't spoil like a like an upcoming scene but like there's like there's a character that you meet in the back half of the game 
and this character like when, when you first meet them um they'll do like the raymond like thumbs up and then his arms like slowly going down as as he's like, <laughs> giving the thumbs up and like i just like freaking lost it because it is so it is so funny like just seeing that animation in that in the context of that scene and it's like you know like i get it but at the same time like it's funny <laughs> to me. yeah i i love like We've talked about how, like, the uh, voice actors for the main cast are good, and I agree with that. I think the dub is genuinely really good, even if it's not, like, amazing. It it fits the characters. But I think that the main thing that has stood out with me is I really, really like the party dynamic. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really good, especially when you get uh, uh, Midas in the party. He's just, like, an old grump, but it's, like... It's an interesting stereotype because he's the old wizard, but it's not like a it's not like he's uh, frail or anything. It's like got like a like steampunk pimp setup or something. It's weird, but it's also really funny. It's funny because like he, the, 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 like he he's they they classify he's uh they say he's thirty seven years old. I'm like this is this is what Japanese these developers think is thirty seven years old. <laughs> He's, he's just like full on white hair. He looks like he's like in his mid forties, and it's like yeah, it's another he's one of those nostalgic. Like Hulk Hogan. Like... <laughs> and he has it's, really it's really a... funny skills. He has a really funny skills. Yeah, and this is not love. really a major thing in the grand scheme of things. And then I'll hand it off to jo uh, James. There's an oh, early yeah. game quest where you have to fight a bunch of worms, and I don't know if I was just not paying attention or if I just wasn't awake. But I couldn't figure out how to get to spawn them. So I go to Google and I search and it's like you had to buy a certain food at the inn because that's what the quest giver said that he did before he encountered these worms. And it, it was yeah. just clever enough to be like, oh, that makes, you know, they're, they're doing some interesting things here where mm -hmm. they don't explicitly it's not drawn out for you and just like a waypoint. Go here, do the thing. And the game does have still plenty of that. It, like the, the main path is still pretty easily like signposted and breadcrumbed where it's not going to, it's not, it's not an open world thing where they keep you guessing and you just kind of do what you want. But in the terms of some of the side quests, a lot of them are just kind of like pretty mundane where you get a certain number of item then bring to a person, but it does a few interesting things and I'm enjoying just accomplishing those. Like I'm feeling motivated to talk to everyone in town and play all the mini games of the Estoa or whatever it's called. And I like, do like I, the I function that they have where like, say you have to like get a fetch quest for something and you might have like one of those in your inventory, but like, I don't know where this drops. So you can actually like hover over that item in your inventory and like press a button and say, do you want to like go to your bestiary and like look at uh, search for the monster that like dropped it. You can do that. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it, it, it'll give uh -huh. you a prompt, uh -huh. the, the, button, the button prompt is saying like search, like search or item or something. Uh, but there's a button prompt that let, lets you allows you to do that from the main menu uh, from the item inventory. So, yeah, I wasn't gonna say it as openly as James, but I I also was like, wait, you can do that? Yeah, uh huh? Yep. <laughs> so there's like these little little things in the game that like it doesn't openly tell you, but it's there. <laughs> Uh, and what were you gonna say, James? Before I, I didn't mean to talk over you. Um, I I, I forget now. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> you were just so stunned <laughs> after upon that revelation. Yeah, I've, it's uh, all those things. I, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I was, I was gonna, gonna say talk that about more this, about It's just that I don't know if this game is. is this is gonna sound a little silly. I don't know if Star Ocean: The Divine Force is great or even good. No, I'll take that back. It is good. I'm enjoying it. Like it's 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 trying to 
it's trying to like organize your thoughts and be like, am I just enjoying this because I'm nostalgic for this sort of game and I'm just kind of indulging in something that is a little bit just average, but it is something that I have, you know, these fond I memories of totally playing earlier games in the game. series. You know, I think it's totally fine for like to see to have like fond memories of a game that like that you know you're having fun with and calling it good. You know, like I don't think there's mm-hmm. anything wrong with that. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with like oh like is this actually like qualitatively good like on like a, a scale that I've like built up as I've like played or like can I just say it's good because I'm having fun with it? And I think you know mm-hmm. the latter every time. You know, I'm not gonna. I I I, I unabashedly like you know really really like this game like after i was done with it i had a blast with it like my my final playtime was like maybe like around 40 hours um and that like i did i did post game as well and got uh, and seeing like what post game is like and like and like this even this game has like even such like it's it, like it's so like old school in the sense that like each of the raymond and leticia route has like an exclusive par- optional party member that you get and like to get this party member like they they, they like these quests appear at certain, like uh, different points in the story depending on like how like the plot rel- relevancy relevancy and like you have to like get like fetch quests for them and like for Leticia's route it's kind of like quote-unquote free from like um from from my friends that like did that route it's like oh yeah you get this party member like just doing like these easy fetch quests like f- but for me like going on the Raymond route like getting like the character like I had most of the things that I needed for their fetch quest but there's like a certain step in that fetch quest where it's like at this point in the game, it's di- difficult to get these items, so I have to like farm like a certain spot for like a, like a good like fifteen to twenty minutes to like get enough of this item to um, get them to join my party, and like and after you get that party member, they actually contribute to like the cutscenes that like happen in the story. They're like they're not, they're, they don't fade away in the back like how um, that one party member in Yakuza Seven was, for example. Like yeah. they actually. Like, contributed to the story in like story cutscenes and well like, that's one you, thing you that the more... early star ocean games were really good at but that might have been an easier time because it was all text-based and the difference between a private action and a story cutscene in those games is not quite as different when you've got voiced cutscenes and then i four got away from that i forget if the last party member in four was technically optional or not and then i don't know about five so yeah, it's kind of neat, neat. i'm so surprised that like there's so much voice acting i think this game might be fully voiced i can't think of like a, a single unvoiced line like even npcs that you speak to like they're fully voiced now that i'm thinking about it and yeah, no there's a lot of voice acting and surprisingly even though other parts of the game don't have the high production values voice acting is just it's just good i don't know if it's going to win any awards but i'm i'm enjoying it i'm listening to the cutscenes as they play a part of that is because a lot of the cutscenes they don't give you the option to like progress to the next as far as i can tell they don't give you the option to progress to the next line of dialogue so it's it's either you've got a yeah you've either got to skip the whole scene or just let it play out which is one of those things where it's like if it could let me skip the lines, I probably would be just because I read fast. And, and I'm not saying that as a talent. Most people read faster than the, the than the actors deliver the lines. But because it's kind of forced me to enjoy it, then I'm not now I'm enjoying it. So it's kind of like a little yeah. bit of a strange. Yeah, there, there's there. like a small there's a small portion of like the cutscenes where like you'll you'll engage with like a, a conversation like with a character like like a side quest NPC, like just something that like you you have this conversation with them, but it like it doesn't like go into a cutscene proper. Like those are like the the cu- types of quote unquote cutscenes, like in game 
cutscenes that you can't skip the lines after you've read them. So, like, it depends. And it's kind of, like, weirdly jank and old school in that way, too. Where, like, sometimes it does lets you, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think th- there is, like, a shift in the way the game is presented and structured, like, in the second half of the, like, I'd say, like, the, the, the back third of the game. Um, where I feel like there are definitely the you can feel like the budget restraints of this game um, more so than the early parts of the game in that in that back third of the game where like it's like it's kind of a bummer that it's like it's presented like this because it's a lot of um, a lot a lot of like story cutscenes all like you at once and then like you engage with gameplay through like narrative corridors and then after you're done like with that it's more a lot more story cutscenes so it, it so it's like like the like the first like two thirds of the game are like very like uh, open zone exploration going to the next town and then like the back third is like more very more streamlined um, in that sense and I was like I can it's still okay I just kind of it, it just kind of falls apart a little bit like structurally in that in that mm. sense but I but the the overall narrative after everything is said and done. Is like it's still solid. I still liked it, you know. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I, I really, I just really enjoy it. <laughs> I'm just glad that like this sort of game is like you know allowed to exist, and you know, and it, it definitely it, it made me have those fuzzy Star Ocean three feelings, and that's good. <laughs> mm. And just like Asta Libra, the next time we talk about Star Wars and the Divine Force probably will be in the context of a Game of the Year discussion. And it sounds like it might be kind of a a sympathetic entry. I'll put it that way. It seems like a lot of us are feeling pretty positive on it. So it'll be interesting to see where it ultimately ends up. I mean, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't call it sympathetic. I'd be like, I, 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 I'm ready to like, I don't know if it's going to be in the top 10, but I definitely want it to be in the top 10 somewhere. Personally. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to know for sure until you get the whole list, you know, collated and kind of go back to all those early games in the year that might have been fading from and, our memory and kind yeah. of recontextualize every like, you know. Yeah, it, so it feels like. like a, uh, go ahead, James. A quick reminder that this year, uh, and Walker will be up for uh, the uh, mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't going to call yeah. it Endwalker specifically, but just like you got to pull our minds to early in the year stuff like. Uh, Elden Ring, for instance, it feels like a lifetime ago, but oh yeah, we're gonna revisit our experience with that game and how does it stack up to, to uh, more some of the more recent releases from later in the year and things like that. And the last game that we have on our section here to talk about that I have earmarked, and I just kind of put it here because I don't know if we're gonna get another chance to talk about it uh, in the rest of the year, is that I did finish Cold Steel Four, which is good that I did. Now that we have a release window for um, both a release date for Azure and a release window for Trails into Reverie. And obviously, Cold Steel 4 is a game that has been discussed in a few different contexts, both in this site and just in the larger gaming sphere, in terms of people's impressions on it and the closeout of that saga. Uh, I guess this is probably a very lukewarm and safe way to state it, is that I didn't hate the game. I wasn't angry at it, but I I just kind of thought that it was. it felt almost like a chore that I felt obligated to play it because I'm more interested in what follows after it than I am in it, but I felt like it was something that I had to do in order to get there. I think the main thing is that I, after playing Cold Steel 4, and I'm trying to keep this high level so I don't go into like immediate spoiler territory, is that I don't like 
any of the antagonists. I don't find them compelling. And to even call out people and identify them in, as antagonists in Cold Steel in general, especially for, is difficult. And that's one thing that I think a lot of JRPGs struggle with is that I can't think of a game recently that's had a really strong, good antagonist that you just a well-written character that you despise because you you find yourself either sympathetic to them and you see where their failings are or you find where they're standing in opposition to your protagonist or whatever. But Cold Steel 4 does this thing where everyone that you're pitted against either is someone who is just testing you because it's the right thing to do or you feel like the opposition with them is somewhat contrived in the first place. Like, why are we even on different sides? And the game kind of admits that where it does this thing with, with the rivalries where it pits major characters against each other out of almost obligation, like literally in the story where they have to be in conflict. Therefore, they are. And I just didn't find that really compelling. In terms of the game's progression, in terms of the combat, in terms of the scope, in terms of just the gameplay itself, I thought it was good and I enjoyed it a lot. And it was like comfort food in that sense as well. But I just didn't really have any of those moments where I was in a, a final encounter with a boss fight or with a with a with a story arc that I really felt motivated to keep pushing in that sense. I know I know this is really high level, but I'm just trying to keep it from diving deep into specific examples that would go into spoiler territory, things like that. But you you make a good point of like I'm trying to think of like little if there was like any RPG this year that actually had like a really compelling like antagonist. And like the the only one that like springs to mind is like depending on the route selection you did for triangle strategy, I guess that would be like the one that comes mm -hmm. to mind. Okay, I will give some specific examples just so I'm not so mealy mouthed about it. But like you go into some of the shrines and you fight like Vita or you fight Le Guin. But they're never really opposed to you. They only fight you because it's like, oh, here's our obligated boss fight against these characters. But they're not really standing against you. They're just testing you. And then you're at one of the you're at one of the fortresses, and it's the it's the uh, the fourth armored division where you fight um, Elliot's dad and the other. I don't remember their names. I'm sorry. But again, they're just testing you. Like they're not really opposed to you. They're you're just fighting them out of obligation because they're like, I want to make sure that your conviction is strong enough or whatever. The only two characters in Cold Steel 4 that really feel like they had like a beef against you and were really opposed to you was Rufus Alberea and then the um the Chancellor. And okay. even then, the game kind of wiggles out of it a little bit at the end, where Reen's like, oh, he kind of has this final moment with the Chancellor that is a little bit more sympathetic. So even in that case, they kind of weasel out of it at the end. And then the game's ultimate boss fight is kind of very nebulous involving like the curse of the t of the country which i don't think is a good antagonist it's it's something that is explicitly evil and need to be dealt with but it wasn't something that i thought was really that compelling so that i think is the main weakness of cold steel 4 if i had to dilute it down is that i know i wasn't compelled to feel like that i was really overcoming something that was really an obstacle in my way other than like this curse aspect or this something this this fixated apparition of that of the country of arabonia that kind of genesis out of nowhere and had always been there. I really kind of like conflicts that are more personally or at least slightly smaller scale where a character or a group of characters really is opposed to the progression of the player or the protagonist and has to be dealt with in a way where here it just, it kind of puts all that stuff with the society and Ouroboros kind of on the back burner until the very, very end. 
So that, that's kind of why I felt like said it feel it kind of feels like a chore. It kind of feels like, well, we're obligated to do this. We got we're know we're most of the way there. Let's get this wrapped up so we can move on to the thing that actually matters. That's kind of how I felt like playing through Cold Steel Four. So I What's didn't hate it. I just felt like game? it was. What was what? What's your hour count in that game? Uh, hard to say because I have a bad habit of letting it idle at the main uh-huh. screen. I don't. <laughs> I don't feel like it was as long as three. I felt like it was a bit shorter. Um, I think it was like 60, 70 hours. Okay. Uh, and I was pretty, I was pretty comprehensive. Shout out to Chow, who has written several guides on the series and pretty thorough ones. And as always, I think I followed his guide on three as well. And even though I followed his guide, I still didn't get all the treasure chests. I'm like, damn it. I'm like, I must just get sloppy and skip one. But the Trails gameplay loop, I actually quite enjoy. I don't know. I, I like the um, just the way that it interests. I think the pacing here, if I want to say some good things about Cold Steel 4, I think the pacing is pretty decent. I think the going from not knowing where Reen is to progressing through introduce, reintroducing the characters that, you know, based on the events of the third game and things like that, and then escalating the conflict to the final uh, chapter of the game. The pacing from the start to finish is decent. It's just that where it ends up, I thought was kind of bland. So I know I'm kind of like speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. It, so it does some things well, but I think at that point I was just kind of, I had had, I had my fill of these characters. I've had my fill of this location in this environment. I kind of want to move on to the next thing. And I know I'm speaking from a place where I kind of have glimpses of what's in Hajimari or Kuro. So I kind of know what's coming up. So like, so I'm playing this game as it was brand new where you didn't know what was next. Maybe I would have felt a little bit differently. Uh, but obviously we're not in that place, so I can't put myself in that place. Um, and I can't really talk about whether it was worth playing until I play Hajimari and, uh, or Reverie and see like how that, if there's any payoff from that. But I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I found time to do it. Um, it's still my least favorite of the Cold Steel arc. But it still has a lot of the same strengths as the series has always had, just it has a lot of weaknesses as well. And I know that's very equivocating, but that's kind of how I feel about the game. So I think it's an earnest, uh, it's just me being as honest as I can. All right. And with that, I think we've covered all of the games that we had on our docket for this week. So nothing explicitly new, but as we go into the subsequent podcast of November, it sounds like that will be changing very quickly. We've had Harvestella released really recently, um, but I don't think anyone here on the cast has had a chance to quite get to that just yet. We've got obviously uh, Pokemon, Tactics Ogre, so many other things that we'll be looking into over the next couple of weeks as people get a time to uh, cover those. As we go into the new section of this podcast, I do have a few article shout outs that I want to make sure we give uh, that we highlight here, at least. And I believe James is the byline for all three of these. So I'm just going to go ahead and go in order. The first one is something that James talked about on the podcast, I believe, two weeks ago, but has uh, written up in a formal feature on the site. And this is specifically talking about Final Final Fantasy XIV's variant dungeons. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, James, but this came out in patch 6.25. Yes. It was the first time they introduced the uh, variant dungeon, and you talked about how it behaves a little bit differently about the from the normal um, experiences in 14. I think Chow ended up linking a, uh, a community-made flowchart for how the dungeons worked. Um, you can go ahead and either listen to our podcast from two weeks ago where we talked about the variant dungeons or we can point you to this new feature up on the site about why the variant dungeons are the best new content 
in Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker expansion. James, I know you've had a chance to talk about these on the podcast before, but I don't know if uh, writing this up in a formal manner like this, if you've got any specific specific thing that you want to call out here. Uh, not really. I mean, I've already talked about it on the podcast before and like anything I'd want to talk about is in the article itself. Okay. But yeah, if you haven't been uh, up to date on what a variant dungeon is or uh, what was added to Endwalker in 6.25, uh, go ahead and give that a read. Uh, it's up on the site. Again, it is listed as Final Fantasy XIV's new variant dungeons are the best new content Endwalker has added yet. The second feature that we have is, again, something we've also kind of talked about on the podcast. You can kind of tell that that's something that we sort of, uh, that's kind of a cadence that we follow pretty regularly, where we'll kind of give our more immediate reactions here in this format. And then once we get the time to kind of solidify our thoughts and get a, get, them, get them written up, we'll put them on, on the site. And this next one is for the Legend of Neyuta Boundless Trails, which is a another game from Falcom that is getting its official English release uh, next year in 2023. And James, again, had the chance to talk about that uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago, actually, ever since it was really announced. Um, but put up a new feature on the site stating that The Legend of Neyuta Boundless Trails is the 2023 JRPG that should be on everyone's radar. And we kind of have talked about exactly what this game is and why people are interested in it. And I know Adam is just kind of interested in it, knowing some things about how it is kind of a standalone entry, but plays more into some of Falcom's other properties where people have compared it to Tokyo Xanadu or even Yeast, but obviously in that uh, Legend of Heroes or Kaseki kind of uh, framework in a way. So again, uh, I just want to make sure I give James a chance to speak to the uh, the article that he put up on this site if he wants to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically just a uh, not really a full like review because it's I didn't put too much of a focus on uh too in depth it's just like i played through it i talked about it on the podcast i thought it was really really good and uh, i just wanted to kind of put a shout out and say hey if you're if you're not paying attention to this maybe uh give it a look no but we, we're always trying to find like these uh these games that we don't want to let go under the radar so trying to do that preemptively for legend of legend of neyuta uh for next year so it's definitely something that's on my radar uh and I know Adam has expressed interest in it as well. So go ahead and give that a read on the site. If that is something that you're not sure of or not quite sold on, or even if you are sold on it, but you just want to read it anyway, go ahead and give that a look. And then the last thing that we've got is an interview feature for, we've been talking about it, Star Ocean, the Divine Force. Uh, we had the chance to send some questions over to uh, Triace about the release of the, the first game in the series in several years. Uh, it's Triace's first major project in over six years. So we had the chance to kind of uh, get in touch with them and get some questions answered. We have those interview answers up on the site. For, uh, I'll just kind of be honest. A lot of this with interviews, it's always kind of difficult because a lot of these, to be honest, are explicitly kind of marketing. They're trying to sell the game to you. Of course they are. Uh, we do sometimes get some interesting nuggets. And this one it does give a little bit of insight about the release of the game. Uh, we, we have had some interviews in the past where we get the answers back, but we just decide not to publish because it is just purely marketing. Uh, this one's kind of on the fringe, but we do have the uh, questions answered up on the site if you're interested in reading into some of the insights behind the uh, the development and the release of Star Ocean The Divine Force. One of the more specific call-outs here that I know that we asked, and I believe James was the one that posited this question, <laughs> was specifically about the font size. Uh, how it is really small on both console and especially on Steam Deck. Uh, but really, no, we, we had the question 
asked, but we didn't really get any good feedback of it. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's something that is explicitly going to be looked at. It, it kind of, right now, it's kind of a, an is what it is. We've expressed uh, our concern. I don't know if that's overstating it about the fact that there are no options for it, but they kind of equivocated on the question and that's where it stands. But they, we did also get some questions answered about uh, the D, the Duma system, about the fact that they're revisiting a series that hasn't seen an entry in a while, and the, the state of the studio and things like that. So we do have these interview questions answered up on the site as well. And with that, we'll go into the news for the week, which similarly is a little bit light because I think we're kind of in a, in a staging ground where a lot of games are releasing and announcements since we've already kind of packed the quarter one of 2023 so full. Announcements are kind of slowing down, uh, but we still have a few new release dates to go into into the quarter one of 2023 as we go into uh, these news headlines. The first major one here is about the upcoming Octopath Traveler 2, which, if you don't remember, is releasing in February of next year on the 24th. We had, a, a month or so ago, our first look at some of the characters, uh, Hikari and Agnia. And here we got a character trailer for two new characters, Particio and Oswald. And the trailer that accompanied these characters actually just showcases, obviously it's focused on specifically these two characters, but it also just showcases just a lot of gameplay, a lot of arts, and a lot of environment just in general. So if you want to just get a further look on Octopath Traveler 2, like this Oswald and Particio, I assume that's how it's pronounced, character trailer just contains just a lot of footage that is, you know, if if we were inclined to, we could probably dig and really extract a lot out of it. My main takeaway from these trailers is that I just love Particio's English voice actor. He's the merchant class character and he he speaks in like a southern drawl and and wears like a trench coat and a cowboy hat. Um yeah they mentioned and I don't that know, the I just, English voice is uh Joss Patrick for that for Particio. Mm-hmm. Yeah and it, it just it's it's job. it's very it's very animated based on the art and the gameplay that we see it fits the character well um it's 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 almost over the top but in a way i don't mind it so mm-hmm. it's, i don't know it's kind of fun and then oswald is a character who is a uh a convicted criminal and it talks about his his path actions it's kind of it's kind of fun to uh put these characters side by side and juxtapose them because particio the merchant um can buy items off of other uh, off of NPCs as, as one of his path actions and things like that, where Oswald just either steals or fights them. So, so it kind of puts them uh, at odds on that. The there is a little bit of gameplay once it once this footage introduces the two characters. There's a little bit of footage just about features of the game. It talks about the um, the seafaring where you get your own ship and being able to travel across the world map. It it hints at a little bit of light customization on your uh, on your on your ferry vessel, and then it also talks about latent abilities, which based on my perception look like limit breaks or overdrives or whatever you call them, where different characters will build up a meter as they uh, break enemies or take damage and activate different special abilities as they're in battle. So that's kind of fun that I believe, I don't recall a similar system in the first game. No, uh, so it seems deal. like it's kind of new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- this is just a good trailer in general. Shows showing a lot of the games, and I'm feeling a lot of the excitement for um, Octopath Traveler 2 now that I did for 1 back when HG2D was a novel thing and we hadn't seen this sort of game. Now it's now it's like we've seen a few different publishers, a few different developers 
either use the HD2D style specifically or emulate the style in different ways. So Octopath Traveler 2 doesn't have that kind of novel feeling anymore. But after watching this trailer, I'm feeling sort of some of the same excitement that I did for the original game, which is good. So uh, this, out of all the packed releases of February, this is probably the one that I'm going to make sure that I prioritize over all the other things that are releasing um, around the same time. Yeah, I'm pretty interested in like, because a lot of the the novelty and charm of the first Octopath Traveler is obviously like the HD2D style is very new. And, you know, looking back on it, obviously, since more and more releases have been using that style, like Live Alive, the Octopath mobile game, um, Triangle Strategy and so forth. Like, you know, after seeing like the steady advancements of it through through these titles, like looking back on that game, it's like it, it, it's kind of quote unquote basic looking now compared to the mm-hmm. the other titles so now so i know a lot uh, the development team of octopath 2 really wants to put like you know show showcase these advances in hd2d style and like kick it up to the next level i'm very interested to see how that how that manifests in this game because they want to take all the lessons they've learned from hd2d over the years and implement them into this game and plus more and i think one of like the the early showings of that uh, of that is um when they uh, encounter like a really big shark as you're traversing through, yeah. the, through the world on the boat and like having like you know an interesting like you know turn-based encounter of like your your party members are on the boat versus this shark that's coming out of the water and like seeing that manifest and how like the the battle dynamics go in that in that fight and i think that's a really cool way to showcase that so i'm really hoping that um this game like kind of usher, ushers in a new era of like we think uh, we think of HD 2D as something that's like you know obviously it's harking back to like that SNES era style uh, sprite based RPGs, but like you know more refined in the like kind of kind of coming more alive in a way, uh, in a more modernized way. And I'm really hoping that this game kind of advances in like in a new era of which of like it's more than just that. It's more of a because I think I think a lot of people have have are starting to get tired of HD 2D. I've seen that sentiment, like you know, over the past few releases, and I can I can understand that sentiment. So I'm hoping like this game reinvigorates that style in a new, exciting way. In a lot of ways, it feels like Octopath Traveler Two is set up to reach kind of like the missed opportunity that the first game didn't quite reach. Which I actually yeah. think is fine because like we we got Octopath Traveler a few years back and. A lot of the other games that have either specifically been in that style or have emulated it, like I'm thinking like the um, uh, Aiden Chronicle 100 Heroes, not HD2D, but has a very similar style. We've seen a few like indie games kind of emulate the style as well. And hell, even the uh, official Suikoden in Remaster announced during TGS kind of in the same space as well. So I still think there's a lot of... Oh, and I, let me forget Dragon Quest Three Remake. We haven't heard a lot of details on that in a while, but specifically in the HD2D style. So I do think that... We're going to be seeing a lot of this and maybe Octopath Traveler as the pilot of that whole, it's not a genre, but that styling didn't quite reach the heights that maybe people expected. But Octopath Traveler 2, I think, is well poised to kind of act as a correcting a correction factor on that. And we've already seen how they have the uh, the paths that cross for specific stories in a way to kind of correct on that shortcoming of the first game we have already mentioned how it seems like it'd be a visual step up and be more fully realized so i'm, I'm excited for octopath traveler 2 you know the, the second game in any perspective series 
is where we often have the chance to see, you know, a lot of these improvements made in a significant way. So yeah. it's something that I think that Octopath Traveler 2 is really well positioned to. It, obviously, it's yet to see if it if it if it hits it, if it nails the landing. But I think it's in a really good position to do the to do just that. And I think like the, one of the ways like it manifests in like in Octopath 2 already is when you did some of the latent abilities, you see like the cam- camera choreography you know, shifting up, like when Hikari does his camera or his latent ability, like they, the camera like swoops around behind his back. So you see a different perspective mm-hmm. of like the pixel sprite, you know, as he's doing that animation. So I'm hoping like, you know, they, they kind of, like, they really have fun with the camera choreography in this game and make it more like, like dynamic. And so it's, like, it's there's a lot of like opportunities and potential in this game. I'm hoping... I really, I really want to like believe in this case because I know a lot of people like kind of as time has, you know, gone on, they've kind of felt sour about Octopath as a series, and I understand it, and I, I definitely agree to some extent. So, and it, I think the the one major shortcoming with Octopath too is how they've reused like the exact same classes in this game. So I'm hoping, you know, there's it, it, it kind of feels like a more of a missed opportunity and like. You could have gone a, a totally different direction, but I can understand it in a certain sense as well. So hope, hopefully, like they, the battle dynamics aren't so like trending the same water as the first Octopath did because they've already kind of like have a lot to prove, especially with using the same exact cl- like jobs and classes as the main Octopath one cast already. Yeah, well, so well, we'll see. It's hard to see. It's based on the footage that we have so far. It's hard to see exactly how that we addressed. We know that everyone's got two path actions now. We talked about the new latent powers that are an addition. So it's possible that we'll see some more different ways that even though they've used the same titles of classes, that they might be implemented slightly differently. And maybe they're using the titles just to make it feel contiguous between the two games. But I do agree that it was kind of, uh, it feels a bit manufactured where it's like oh this character is the merchant now this character is the scholar now this character is the hunter now rather than just having eight different classes because before it felt like the classes were just kind of tied to the character and what they were like tressa is a you know the daughter of merchants so she's the merchant or whatever or Ulbrich is the warrior i forget the exact class name but now that they're just reusing those same titles in the second game it feels a little bit more contrived but yeah. I'm still holding a hope that they'll do something within the game framework itself where, yeah, they might use the same title, but they've implemented it in a different way or they have something specific to these new characters. So they're not just beholden to the uh, the template set by the first game. But that's it remains to be seen. But I kind of agree that uh, I see where you're coming from with that sentiment. The other major, even calling it a major headline is not quite true, but we kind of have an announcement of an announcement from this week. So across a few different... Um, uh, publications this week we got a little bit of insight about the upcoming final fantasy 16 which we recently talked about how with the uh with the new trailer is coming out next summer yoshi p and the team over at square enix has basically made an announcement of an announcement that we will know the release date of final fantasy 16 before the end of this year so within the next two months uh, we will dial it down from summer 2023 to a specific release date and we also got a few nuggets about the state of development, how uh, the, the percentage that they're throwing around is 95% that the, um, the development progress is basically done. They're doing debugging. They're doing some, uh, there are some cheeky lines about the state of the sound uh, optimization, working with Sokin, of course, uh, from Final Fantasy XIV fame of finishing out all the sound design and, uh, and all sort of all the work on that front. 
So I don't know how uh, how much we can extract from this announcement of an announcement, but it's it kind of feels like where for some of the previous Final Fantasy games uh, in the main series, their development just kind of lingered on and on and on. Where this game, it felt like it had a more much more standard marketing cycle where it was initially announced. We had a bit of a lull. We got a couple trailers in a row. And now it seems like we're going to get a release date uh, relatively soon after the big blowout trailer from uh, from last month. Yeah, I so, assume this will be like a Game Awards announcement. That, that's the only like upcoming like that's a good. Big, I didn't think of that uh, related event. So that's like early December. So mm-hmm. Will most likely be there. Um, from the sound of things, I yeah, I mean, sure. It's I mean it's about time we got a release date on this, even though it's still a bit far out. And I, I do like you mentioned, like it, it this the development cycle of this game is much much more um, stable than FF four fifteen was. Thankfully. Um, a lot of lessons learned uh, from that, obviously, with the new with the new development team on this. It's um, I really hope it it's it's a good game. I really hope that the I I really wonder what they'll what they'll do about the PS5 exclusive situation because I know that like there was some, there was some talk of like whether is this gonna come out on PC and if it does, will it be at the same time as the PS5? Because it it might be like a let's say like a Silent Hill 2 remake situation where like they're primarily marketing it on PS5, but on maybe PS5 is like maybe potentially a console exclusive and it'll eventually come to PC same day. We don't exactly know yet, obviously. Um, but ho- hopefully, like, you know, I, I do want to see a simultaneous PC release for this as well because I just want to... I want to I see it running like at the full power of my PC. <laughs> Well, uh, well, event- unfortunately, Square Enix has just been there. We've talked about this in the past. There is no rhyme or reason to the way Square Enix does things. Yes. Like, hey, I'll just go ahead and kind of fold in the next discussion topic, and that's Forspoken, which is a release for early next year that is also a PlayStation 5 console exclusive, but is launching on the PC at the same time, which that was not something that was always known. We kind of knew that it was going to have a PC release, but how it would coincide with the console release or come in later wasn't originally uh something that was that clear but uh in for instance in forspoken's case it's coming out on all the pc4 storefronts at the same time where for games like neo the world ends with you or final fantasy 7 remake that wasn't the case uh kingdom hearts is still holding on one storefront and just came out of nowhere on pc and it's there's no rhyme or reason for square enix every single title you have to treat yeah, as a separate individual case. event. <laughs> you can't. You can't look at trends. You can't look at like Octopath anything. Traveler to... One is on Xbox and not PlayStation, but Octopath. Yep, Traveler that's another two. Will be... Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just a wild ride. It's just a wild ride. So, so depending on what game you look at, what are what are our expectations for Final Fantasy 16 on PC? The honest answer is who the hell knows because you could put, you could look at other titles in Square Enix's catalog and come up with all sorts of answers. We just don't we don't know. Um, but on the Forspoken front, we talked about how they're going into so this game is only a couple months away. It's releasing in January, and we talked about how they released the first of three deep dive videos on specifically focused on uh, gameplay mechanics over the next couple months. Uh, last time we had the traversal magic. We talked about the the shimmy and the platforming and things like that. Uh, this week, the deep dive two is all about magic combat, which I think is kind of broad because isn't that the entire game's combat is magic combat? But it'll be interesting to see what the, what the third deep dive ends up being. So this deep dive video, I again compared to all the other Forspoken marketing, I actually think is relatively good. 
Um, it's mostly just a narrator going through what Frey's abilities are and going through the different types of magic. They kind of explicitly color the magic, like literally, like the, it talks about how she starts out with purple magic, which looks like it's like earth or ground focused, goes into red magic fire, introduces briefly green and blue, um, talks about how some of the magic is offensively based, some of it's more supporty or healy. Uh, and a pretty detailed trailer. And one thing that I actually do appreciate about this deep dive trailer is that I have talked about in the past how some trailers go overboard trying to make them as cinematic as possible. Like they'll take free control of the camera and they'll they'll use like angles and sweeping motions that aren't actually available in game. Where in this Forspoken deep dive magic combat video, they might do a little bit of that, but a lot of it is literally just slowing the animations down. Which oh, actually, to me, I think it's really, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of there, there's a lot of slow mo, but not in the sense of trying to make it like an action movie trailer. But it almost is just showing that they're proud of the work they've done with the animations and the particle effects and things like that, and they want to show it off. And I don't know. I think it's pretty brave that they're saying like, "Yeah, take a deep look at what we've made. We're, we'll slow it down for you. Like we're not going to try to hide it or like gussy it up in a way." So I actually think it's I, I kind of applaud them for that. They're saying, look, this is this is the spell effects that we've got in the game. Take a look at them where we worked hard on these. And uh, I think it looks pretty good. I I don't know that I'm feeling super high on it, but I am feeling more optimistic on Forspoken now in these last two trailers than I have been when they were doing like their initial part marketing over the summer with the more story focused stuff. So I'm guessing this will be a game where I really enjoy the exploration, the combat, the open world, but the story based on everything they've shown, I probably won't be too tied into, but I don't need that to enjoy a game personally. So these last two trailers, I'm, I'm just being honest and saying we we've had like Alex wrote up on the site some things about how Forspoken was not marketed well early in his opinion, and I think they're these last the the tech that they've been taking the last couple months has made me more personally excited for this game. So I'm looking forward to this uh, in January of next year. Yeah, they delayed the game so they can market it better. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just kidding about that. I mean, that's not that's not that's not that's not that's not the real reason, obviously, but. You know, Wasn't this the, game originally supposed to release in January of this year? Is that was that true? Am I making that up? I feel um, like it was supposed to release that, a long time uh, ago. <laughs> that, that's probably somewhat true. Uh, let me go check real fast. It was supposed to launch in May, May. Yeah, May of this year. It, it, it was initially May. Then it got delayed to October. Then it got delayed to January. <laughs> so. Oh, back when it was Project Athia, I think people were scouring like footnotes on trailers. And at some point, it said January. Oh yeah, Sony CES presentation dates Project Athia for January 2022. Okay, so they were a year off, but uh, it's go. I don't know. It's it needed a little bit more time in the oven, and based on the gameplay we've seen for the last two uh, showcases, uh, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about it. Yeah, I, I just hope it uh, you know runs well uh, on PC, and I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be actually like super fun to play. All right, and to wrap up this podcast, we've only got a few more uh, headlines here. These are mostly just release dates or release windows. Uh, in the next week, we've got a couple games coming out, the uh, ports of, of existing games, uh, one of which is Kowloon High School Chronicle. This is the uh, visual novel, correct, that originally released on Switch uh, last February and then originally came out in um, on the PlayStation 4 not last February, two Februarys ago, February 2021, and then came out in uh, March on PlayStation 4. It's getting a PC port uh, next week. So Kowloon High School Chronicle is launching for Steam 
on November 10th. Yeah, this was really originally released on PS2 like in 2004. It was like published by. Oh, Atlas. I meant like, the uh, I meant the English release. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Awesome. I, I know, I know. <laughs> that, yeah, there's like there's like the updated ports, obviously, uh, updated re-release. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like originally, you know, that it originally came out. You know, so it's not like a brand brand new game. It's uh, but it's a, it's a neat second no, adventure no. RPG dun- dungeon crawler type deal. So it's really cool. Uh, no, it's good. Played a little bit of it on Switch. Uh, I've been meaning to get back to it. Maybe it's I'll... just so crowded. Like once again, the, the mm-hmm. last two months, it's like especially like in you know, November, we usually take this time to kind of catch up on like things we we want to like mention <laughs> for for you know we'll try to catch up. We, we make the attempt. Yeah. Well, well and then release. going the other direction, a game that released earlier on PC that is now making its way to console is Kaiju Wars. Uh, we talked about this very briefly at one of our summer episodes of the podcast. It released on PC back in April. Uh, it is getting a PlayStation and Xbox console release also on November 10th. Uh, there's a Switch release, I think, in the works, but we don't have a specific date for it quite yet. But going from PC over to console uh, for Kaiju Wars on the same day as the PC release of Kowloon High School Chronicle. We also got a release date for the first Front Mission remake on Switch. So Front Mission first remake. We knew it was coming out in um, November, but we have the release date that is just going to squeeze in at the end of the month. Uh, Front Mission first remake will launch on a, on Nintendo Switch on November 30th. Uh, it would be technically eligible for that Game of the Year podcast just by <laughs> Yep. If it was like you know, depending on when we decide to record that podcast and so forth, mm-hmm. so that's something I I really want to I I need to squeeze before that uh, podcast because it would technically be eligible if it was like because I love mm-hmm. the first part vision, so you know it'd be it, they didn't lie they said it would come out in November even if it's like the last day of November. And the last headline we have here is that. The first-person RPG Atomic Heart is releasing in February of next year. Surprise! On February 21st, 2023. We discussed this on, I think, our very first September edition of the Tetracast this year. It is a a uh, Russian-focused... It's a Russian-developed game. It's a first-person RPG. But alongside this release date announcement for February 21st, we got uh, some new gameplay footage, including, I believe, IGN has an exclusive, like, 10-minute boss fight footage. And I will be honest, like everything about this game, it's being published by Focus Entertainment that was announced back in September. Uh, the developer is Mundfish. And the recent marketing for this game has held on to calling it an action RPG. But I will say that any of the footage, unless there's something tucked away on a Facebook page or something, none of the footage that I've seen for this game really showcases anything rpg i mean it looks like a first person shooter and it looks fine and some of the some of the footage that they've shown i mean it it kind of looks like what i would expect an action game with kind of some sort of sci-fi aesthetics would look like but it's just interesting to see a lot of this marketing specifically calling it an rpg then i just don't quite see it yet but of course we're we only can see what the trailers show us it'll be interesting to follow up on this next year but also it's i remember when this uh when this release date for February was first announced. Adam literally replied, like, good thing nothing else is releasing in February. Uh, yeah. Obviously, very cheek- very cheekily, of course. So I'm guessing if we do focus on this game next year, it'll probably be after the fact, just because February is absolutely loaded. Um, plus, this game, we, despite having a decent amount of gameplay footage for Atomic Heart, we don't. I still don't quite have a good feel for what it is, especially for like how it really ties into the genre. But 
maybe that's left to be seen. So uh, next week, uh, not next week, next year, we'll keep an eye on Atomic Heart and see if it's something that we think it truly is up our alley. And I don't know, maybe we'll make time to take a look at it if it's something that we really think uh, we can kind of look at a different sort of game that's still in the kind of still in our coverage space. And I know that was kind of a shorter list than normal, but that's kind of what we've got for uh, for this week of the podcast. So most of the announcements uh, or things that are coming up is basically looking at Adam's 2022 release calendar as we look into the middle third of November and seeing all the stuff that's coming out. We've already kind of listed a lot of them here, but uh, basically a lot of what we're looking forward to is basically games are releasing, uh, not not least of which Pokemon in uh, in two weeks and a few other games around the same time. Uh, Pentiment from Obsidian's coming out. We have a few other games that we talked about in late November we've got the front mission remake uh, i still have to finish divine force and all the other games from the late in the year that we're trying to squeeze in uh before deliberations at the end of the year so those are sort of the things to look forward to in the next episode of the podcast as uh as embargoes release as people get time to, to look at games like harvestella and give impressions on those uh and try to wrap up as we uh go into the end of the year deliberations and see exactly where all these things end up stacking up uh from the course of the whole year but as we wrap up, I will remind once again that we have those three features up on the site for the Final Fantasy XIV Variant Dungeon feature, James's feature about looking ahead for the Legend of Neyuta Boundless Trails, as well as the Star Ocean, the Divine Force interview answers. Uh, I believe we're still planning to have an official review up on the site within the next week. Is that true, Adam? Do you know? Probably. Yeah. And that is being, is that, is Scott handling that? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because we've talked about because I played a little bit of it. Uh, J- James has played a little bit of it. Josh has played all of it. And I know Adam's planning to get to it, but we don't have Scott on this podcast regularly. So I'll be interested to see like what his like uncompromised take is on Star Ocean, the Divine Force and to see if he feels as strongly as we do about it or not. So it'll be interesting to kind of compare and contrast how we felt about that game on the podcast versus what actually gets published on the site. But, you know, the opinions are uh, reviews are personal opinions at the end of the day when you boil it completely down. So whatever he comes up with is valid and I'm eager to read it uh, once it goes up on the site. And of course, once it does, we will uh, go ahead and point you guys to it once it's published. Uh, So thank you so much for listening. Uh, We will be back next week as we uh, look into some of the games that are releasing in mid-November. You can follow uh, all of RPG Site's work on most of the social media platforms, primarily Twitter for the moment. Uh, Just search for RPG Site on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram, and you can find us on those. We do also have a Discord server. You can hit the link at the top of the homepage or go to discord.gg slash RPG Site. If you do listen to this podcast on any of the podcast services on Spotify, on Apple, Google, or even on YouTube or on our site, go ahead and give us a review or a comment if you'd like. We love reading those. Let us know what we're doing well or what we could be doing better. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the TetraCast. I know this week was maybe a little bit shorter, but there's a lot, you know, there's a lot on the horizon, a lot to get to, uh, to try to squeeze it before the end of the year. So look forward to that as we reconvene in seven days. But until next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you then. Arctic Soger next week. Sonic. Ooh. Sonic. <laughs>